Okay, so several people have asked my opinion on this and they wanted me to do this video. So here it is. This is my review of the AJ Ruiz gloves are off for the rematch. Now in the lead up to this fight, I've seen several interviews with AJ. I want to say over the past two weeks where he's looked very uncomfortable in the interview. His body language and all that stuff looking very uncomfortable. Now, at the time I thought he looks nervous, but on reflection, I'm wondering whether he's just maybe agitated. He's in fight mode. He's not really in the mood to sit down with a bunch of journalists back to back and answer the same questions over and over again. So who knows? But what I can tell you is after watching this episode of The Gloves Are Off, to me, AJ looked calm, confident, sure of himself. I was looking out for any signs that he may be uh, nervous in front of Andy Ruiz or concerned. I didn't see it. To me, this was the most confident I've seen AJ in the lead up to this fight. Now, it has to be said that this occurred several weeks ago. Might even been a couple months ago when his gloves are off was filmed. And as such, this was before a lot of the sparring sessions. So hypothetically, let's say he was confident at this point, sitting in front of Andy Ruiz. We've heard stories of him being hurt again in sparring. So is it a situation where he was confident here, but then afterwards he did several weeks of sparring where he got hurt and things weren't going well? And then after that, he didn't feel as confident. And that's when he appeared in the various interviews, like with ITV, BBC, etc., looking nervous and pensive. Who knows? But for my money, he looked very confident in front of Andy Ruiz here. You could see the fire in his eyes. His face looked different than the first fight. He de definitely looks to have slimmed down in the face. Again, this was several weeks ago. Maybe he's put the weight back on. I don't know. But at this point, his face looked different. You could see the fire in his eyes and he was talking confidently. There was a moment where Andy Ruiz said, I think AJ quit a little bit in the first fight. And AJ at first kind of held his composure, but then he started appearing a little agitated by what Andy Ruiz had said. And he said, why would I get up though? If I was going to quit, why would I get up? And as I say, he also said, I'm good, you know, and when you're good, you don't worry about things and, and so on and so forth. He, he was just using very positive language. Now, there was somebody uh, in my group the other day who said that their interpretation of AJ in this Gloves Are Off was the opposite of mine. They thought he looked very nervous, pensive, unsure of himself. Other people say they think he was mentally cracking in this Gloves Are Off. Uh, the, the, the one particular guy said that he was using... He was using, what did he say? Um, weird phrases and empty analogies. Or maybe the other way around. Weird, weird analogies and empty phrases. Well, I, I don't think you've listened to a lot of Anthony Joshua interviews in the past because he always talks like that. I've mentioned it in videos that Anthony Joshua has this weird way of talking where he gives these awkward analogies. and it just It's just weird. AJ's always been like that. You go back and look at some of his best performances. Go look at the gloves are off for that. Same thing. Go look at many of his interviews he's done over the years for various different um, 
media outlets. Same thing. He he's he has this weird way of talking. He's always had that. So that is not indicative of him being nervous or anything like that. Not at all. And I've always been somebody who's good when it comes to reading people, when it comes to reading their body language and you know getting a feel for how they're feeling mentally, especially fighters. And I detected virtually no nervousness at all in Anthony Joshua in this face-off. And I think one of the reasons is because Andy Ruiz doesn't have an intimidating persona. I think that AJ was sat at a table here and his gloves are off, looking at Ruiz thinking, how the hell did I lose to this guy? Because <laughs> Ruiz is not a guy who tries to intimidate you. He's not a guy who tries to stare you down and, you know, say horrible things about you to try and put you on the defense. He, that's not what Andy Ruiz is like. He's actually a really polite guy. Some people think he's maybe uh, trying to, you know, uh, uh, pull off the same trick that they think he pulled off first time, which is playing Mr. Nice Guy to try and draw Anthony Joshua into a full sense of security. But I don't know. I don't think so because AJ's fallen for that once. If it was a trick first time around, He's not going to fall for it again. So, you know, that is what that is. But as I say, I think AJ was just sat in front of him thinking, how did I let this guy beat me? That that was the vibe I was getting from AJ in this gloves are rough. Yeah. So, uh, again, this was, a, I think, a couple months ago. His mindset may have changed now after camp. Might have been a bad camp. Might have got hurt. I don't know. And then... That might make him feel nervous. But as he was right here, he was a-okay. Yeah, he was a-okay. So, yeah, that's just my brief thoughts on AJ Ruiz, the gloves are off. A lot of the time, people will project what they imagine he's thinking onto situations like this. They'll read too deeply. They'll start seeing things which are not actually there. Okay, I have watched Anthony Joshua since he was an amateur. I've seen all of the gloves are off he's been involved in. I've seen probably every interview he's ever done on YouTube. I've noted the fact that he has this weird way of talking before. And what I saw here was not a nervous AJ at all. This was a confident guy and a guy who was hell-bent on revenge, actually. That's what I saw in AJ's eyes. He just looked, yeah, it looked like he had a devil in him. <laughs> so... Let me, let me know what you guys think in the comments. I'm sure some of you have a different interpretation. And we'll find out, you know, where AJ's at ultimately on Saturday night uh, mentally. So, yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comments. I'm out. Andy Ruiz made several mistakes in the first Anthony Joshua fight, which he needs to correct for the rematch if he wants to give himself the best chance of winning again. Now, in this video, I'm going to be using still images rather than actual video footage. If you want to see a version of this analysis where I'm using real video footage and taking you through slow motion of the actual fight itself, pointing out the mistakes Andy Ruiz was making, then head on over to my Facebook group. And at the very top of the group, you'll see the video is pinned there. So go watch it there. A lot of people like that video and they say I should do more videos like that. Well, you know, you can't really do them on YouTube without falling foul of copyright infringement, okay? So I'm just, just going to be using still, still images in this particular video, but if you want to see me using actual video footage to analyze that first fight, 
and point out the mistakes both men were making because in this video I'll be talking about Ruiz's mistakes. I'll do another video talking about AJ's mistakes, okay? So anyway, let's get to it. Now, we can see one of the mistakes that Ruiz made right here where he was jabbing from too far out. He's a much shorter guy than AJ. He's got a shorter reach. He needs to move his feet in a bit closer to avoid things like this happening. This was, I think it might have been in the first round, where AJ walked him onto a really, really heavy jab. And you can see Ruiz's face snap back, where his jab is falling short, but AJ's jab has just cracked him right in the face. Really heavy jab that he got caught with there. And there was also another moment in the fight, I think it was in the second round, where he jabbed and it fell short or it either, it either fell short or hit AJ on the shoulder. And look, jabs to the shoulder can be effective in terms of, you know, hurting a guy's arms and making his guard drop. Uh, but nevertheless, what can also happen when you start jabbing to a guy's shoulder is because, you know, when you jab to a guy's head, you blind him. You can't see what's coming after that. But when you jab to a guy's shoulder, he can see you know, not only what's coming after the jab, but he can also see openings in your defense. And so in this instance, Ruiz jabbing from too far out gets caught by a very solid jab from AJ. That happened several times in the fight. And this right here was another example of it. Ruiz jabbing from too far out, not landing. And you can see Anthony Joshua poised to counter over the top of a right hand. And he did this move several times in the fight. In fact, interestingly, after watching the fight again, a couple days ago, AJ was actually countering Ruiz over his jab, even after that infamous third round. Like in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, AJ was still countering Ruiz over his jab. He wasn't as sharp as he was early in the fight because he was still a little groggy, but he was countering Ruiz over that jab. So here he's just poised. He's waiting for Ruiz to throw the jab. And this is the result. AJ punishes him with a right hand over the top for his trouble. Now, in that particular instance, as I say, Ruiz jabbing from a little too far out, not moving his head enough, not he's standing too straight up. If you're going to throw a jab at a guy who's countering you over, the right, over your jab all the time, one of the good things to do is to faint before you jab. Yeah, start at a jab, faint before you throw it to draw his lead. Then you can slip his right hand and come back with your own power shot. Or if he's going to jab at you, you can slip his jab and then come and finally hit him with your jab. So it's a good idea to actually start at a jab, faint with it, to see what the other guy's going to do. You know, whether he's going to try counter it or not. That's something which Ruiz didn't do throughout the whole fight from what I saw. He wasn't fainting and trying to draw leads out of AJ so he could then counter the counterpuncher. You know, Andy Ruiz himself is a counterpuncher, a front foot counterpuncher. But AJ was countering a lot in the fight as well. So... In a rematch, Ruiz would be well advised to try and use a few more feints. Don't stand so straight up. Move his head a bit more. Try coming lower and avoid getting hit with shots like this. Another thing Andy Ruiz needs to look out for is AJ trying to trigger him. So AJ in the first fight was repeatedly just tapping Ruiz's gloves with his left jab, just pulling with his left jab to try and get a reaction out of Ruiz. And he was doing this at long range. As you can see here, they're at long range. Ruiz is not really in a position to start landing his power punches here. He's got quick hands, but his feet are slow. 
So AJ's tapping, tapping, tapping on Ruiz's gloves. And what does Ruiz do? He falls for the bait. He reacts to what AJ's doing, and that's the reaction AJ wants. In this particular instance, AJ doesn't punish him for uh, missing. But in boxing, sometimes you don't want to punish the guy the first time he makes a mistake. I mean, sometimes you may not be in a position to punish him anyway by way of you know, your, your balance and your feet. You might not be in a position to punish him safely. But other times you'll want him to keep making the same mistake over and over again. So he gets comfortable making that mistake. Then you punish him. Maybe the second or third or fourth time that he does it. You know? So, yeah, he's, he's tapping away, trying to trigger Ruiz, get him to react to what he's doing. And of course, Ruiz does react. And the right hand misses by quite a wide margin. And you can see Ruiz's body here. He's overreaching with the right hand. If you watch the video version of this, you'll see what I'm talking about a lot more clearly. But he's overreaching with the right hand. You can see his balance is not what it should be at this point. If this was, let's say, a prime Tyson, he had the foot speed to be able to land that shot there and, and punish AJ for the trap that AJ was trying to set. But in this instance, no. Andy Ruiz reacted to what AJ was doing. AJ got Ruiz to do what he wanted him to do in this situation. Ruiz's punches fell short. He ended up missing. Now, yeah, AJ didn't punish him with a counter in this instance, but even if the guy's not punishing you with counters, missing like this is giving your opponent data. He understands what you're going to do if he tries certain moves, and you're also wasting energy when you're missing like this you know, putting yourself off balance and, and throwing big shots that don't connect. Okay, so here we see AJ landing a tremendous left hook on Andy Ruiz in the second round. Best punch of the round, really. He landed two very, very good shots at the start of the round, which I'm going to talk about as well, actually. But later on in the round, he lands this tremendous left hook. And this was right after he landed a counter right hand over Ruiz's jab, the, the one I showed you earlier. He landed his counter right over Ruiz's jab. Ruiz banged his gloves together and he was a bit mad that AJ had caught him with the right hand. And he was, you know, kind of edging forward looking to get revenge, but not thinking enough about defense. AJ steps in and catches him with a tremendous hook. Andy Ruiz, of course, iron-jawed, <laughs> just shook off this hook like it was nothing. But it was a very, very good shot. And again, in the rematch, Andy Ruiz cannot afford to be so defensively lax as that because the shots that don't hurt you in the second round, they might start hurting you in the seventh, eighth or ninth round if they're still landing. So he can't afford to be getting hit, hit with shots like this. Needs to move his head more, you know, needs to throw more feints to try and trigger AJ and then you can counter his counters and also needs to try and come in lower. I know it's difficult for Ruiz because he's got such a, you know, a big waist so he doesn't have much room to maneuver when it comes to bending at the waist. But if it's possible, try and bend at the waist a little bit to come in lower because he stands straight up a lot of the time. That's one of the main uh, flaws that Andy Ruiz has is he stands straight up too often and he gets punished for it in the first fight several times. So this is the example I'm talking about here. This is the start of the second round. Ruiz... And AJ, they're at long range. Ruiz comes in, so he's stood straight up here. He's not crouching low, he's stood straight up. And he is a good height for AJ to be able to get at him. And as they move in, 
Ruiz tends to throw wide. That's another mistake that he makes, is he throws wide punches a lot of the time, Andy Ruiz. He wings with his punches. He's throwing a wide shot. AJ's throwing a straight shot. AJ's shot gets there before Ruiz's does. Again, in the video version of this, you will see me go through the actual slow-mo of this particular sequence, and you'll see what I'm talking about more clearly. But Ruiz throws wide. The straight punch is going to get there first. So Ruiz's punch actually falls short. AJ's left lands clean. As you can see there, okay, look at Ruiz's head. His left is missed. AJ's left has landed clean. And AJ follows up with a right hand, which also, also lands clean. And Ruiz's right hand is again wide. Yeah, so that's two mistakes here that Ruiz makes. He comes in with his head too high up. And he's also throwing wide punches when he should try and shorten them. Because they'll stand a better chance of landing, particularly when AJ's throwing straight shots like this. And just to give you an example of what I mean by a fighter who comes in low, here we have Povetkin against AJ. So this is what Ruiz should be trying to do more of, is coming in low. Because you're not such a, an easy target for straight punches against a tall guy like AJ. We know AJ's got a good uppercut, but when Povetkin comes in low, he's also bobbing and weaving. He's moving his head from side to side, even to avoid uppercuts. And in this particular sequence, this is at the end of the first round against AJ. And Povetkin successfully comes in low. He faints with the right hand. Again, he's trying to trigger AJ. He's trying to see what AJ is going to throw. He faints with the right hand as he comes in low. See, that's him fainting with the right hand. He doesn't actually throw that right hand. He's coming in low, so AJ can't land the right hand easily to his chin coming in. Faints with the right hand. And then he actually hits AJ with a left hook first, which lands and actually bosses um, AJ's nose. Then he follows up with an uppercut. Look how short Povetkin's punches are compared to Ruiz's. He doesn't throw big winging punches. Look, Povetkin doesn't have the stamina of Andy Ruiz at 38 or 39, however old he was when he fought AJ. Doesn't have Ruiz's stamina. Doesn't have Ruiz's energy. And probably doesn't even have Ruiz's chin. But one thing he does have is shorter punches. He doesn't throw big, wide, winging shots like Ruiz. Povetkin has better technique in his hooks and uppercuts. Much more short and compact. More difficult to read what Povetkin's doing. Better upper body movement than Ruiz. Comes in lower, moves his head more. Faster feet. So, you know, from a technical point of view, Povetkin's actually a better fighter than Andy Ruiz. He just doesn't have the youth and the, uh, you know, the stamina, the, the, the toughness anymore that uh, Ruiz currently has. But from a technical point of view, he does many things better than Andy Ruiz, Alexander Povetkin. And this particular sequence showed it, where he was able to get on the inside using head movement, coming in low. AJ wasn't able to catch him with anything. Then he fainted with the right hand. Something you very rarely see Andy Ruiz doing. Hit AJ with a free piece, a combo. Left, then followed by the uppercut, then another left. And it left AJ on wobbly legs at the end of the sequence. There's the uppercut landing. AJ's legs buckled at the end of the first round in their fight. So that's an example of what I'm talking about. Povetkin doing it the right way. If you're going to be a you know, short guy coming in, trying to get on the inside against AJ, stay low. Don't have your head up in the air like Ruiz was getting caught coming in constantly in them first couple rounds. And it's something which has happened to Ruiz in many of his fights, by the way. It's not just the AJ fight. There are many other fights 
where he just comes in with his head in the air and he gets caught. One of the uh, fights where I saw it happen to him a lot was a fight that he won, of course, because he got a very good chin. A fight that he won uh, against Tor Hamer. But if you watch that Tor Hamer fight, I mean, Hamer can't miss in them first couple rounds against Ruiz. He is hitting Ruiz with everything but the kitchen sink because Ruiz just does not move his head, comes in far too straight up, and he's getting caught time and time again by Tor Hamer. And he'll get caught time and time again by AJ unless he makes that adjustment in the rematch. He needs to move his head, needs to come in lower. So here's another mistake that Andy Ruiz made in the first fight. This is the third round, and it's the sequence where the first knockdown occurs, where Ruiz gets dropped. Now, AJ is in the corner prior to him being here up in Ruiz's chest. He was in the corner, and from that position, there's only two things he can do to get out of the corner and avoid being uh, trapped by Ruiz, who's obviously going to open up. He can either try and do some slick maneuvering around the perimeter of the ring, or he can try and go through Ruiz. He chose the latter. He chose to try and go through Ruiz. And AJ actually does some pretty good technical things here. Now, it's not ideal and it's not advisable to be this close to Andy Ruiz. So from a technical point of view, that's not good. But from a balance point of view, well, from a tactical point of view, I should say, that's not good to be this close to Ruiz because he's got a good chin, fast hands, all that. But from a technical point of view, what he did here was good because AJ's stance is strong and his lead foot, his left foot, is in the middle of Andy Ruiz's two feet. Ruiz at this point is square and he's standing again straight up. You see, so Ruiz is not in a strong stance in this particular instance. AJ is in a strong stance with his, look at that, the forearm in between Ruiz's chest. Ruiz is in a position here where he can get easily knocked off balance. And that's exactly what happens. So AJ comes on the inside here. He finds his entry point to start exchanging. He's in the stronger position. Ruiz is, is not in a good position from a, a balance perspective. He's standing too straight up. If a tall guy like AJ tries to get low, I mean, AJ's lower than Ruiz here. If the tall guy gets low, you better get low as well. That's a mistake Ruiz made here. And he knows it anyway. He's talked about this in, uh, in a couple of interviews that he knows he made a mistake of standing too straight up here. So they've acknowledged that and hopefully they address it in the rematch. But yeah, too straight up. If the big guy comes in and gets low, you get low too. You can't allow him to do what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you know, get low. Doesn't get low, stand straight up. AJ's got the jump on him as far as balance because he's got his left foot in between Ruiz's feet. And look what happens. AJ moves him back a little bit more to push Ruiz off balance. They start hooking. AJ, of course, goes with the uppercut and it results in that tremendous left hook landing. The uppercut first, then the left hook and down goes Andy Ruiz. Okay, mistake by Andy Ruiz there. Several mistakes cost him and he ended up on the floor. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. I'm just talking you through the mistakes that Andy Ruiz made in the first fight, which if he wants to win the rematch, he needs to be correcting. Yeah, and look, he still won the first fight, even though he made all, all those mistakes. But he has to expect and he has to train for Anthony Joshua to be better in the rematch. And if your opponent's going to be better, then you need to be better. Yeah, now there is no telling whether Anthony Joshua actually will be better. But if you're a professional, 
like Andy Ruiz is, then you expect the best. You don't expect an easy fight. You go in there expecting actually an even tougher fight than the first fight. If it turns out to be easier, that's a bonus. But that's not the mindset that you have to have going into a rematch like this. Like this, The mindset you have to have is, it's going to be even tougher than first time around, so I need to be better. And if he wants to be better, he needs to make the adjustments and other adjustments too. These are just some of the technical adjustments Andy Ruiz needs to make and the mistakes he needs to avoid repeating in the rematch if he wants to win. So yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comments. And um, again, if you want to watch the video version, follow the instructions I've already uh, laid out in this video because I did do a you know video version where you actually see the moving images, me taking you through the slow motion of the video itself of the first fight and explaining all the mistakes both men made, not just Ruiz. So I'll do a separate video on this about uh, the mistakes AJ made. So yeah, make sure you catch that one as well. I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. So the officials have been named, they've been revealed for this Ruiz-Joshua rematch on Saturday. And the referee is this man right here, Luis Pabon. He infamously refereed the Vladimir Klitschko-Alexander Povetkin fight, which was one of the most disgraceful refereeing performances I've ever seen in my life. And I think I said in my post-fight video for that, that Pabon might as well have been in a Klitschko tracksuit, you know, with Team Klitschko in the back. That is how horrific that performance was from Luis Pabon. Because Klitschko was allowed to get away with a criminal amount of excessive holding. Seriously, people, it's the most excessive holding I've ever seen in a world title fight in my whole life following this sport over 30 years. Absolutely disgraceful performance that night. And some people already are saying this is a setup. They're getting Luis Pabon in there so AJ can get away with holding and all manner of other infringements, potentially. And look, let's be real. When it comes to the A-side in boxing, when it comes to fighters who are generating multi-millions, it's the norm for them to get favorable treatment from referees, judges, etc. Not saying it's right. It's absolutely not right. It's wrong. But unfortunately, it's the norm. We've seen AJ get favorable treatment in fights before. In the Joseph Parker fight, they wouldn't let, well, either man exchange up close, but it would have benefited Parker more than AJ, right? They wouldn't let that happen. The ref in that fight wouldn't let it happen. In attack and fight, I thought that was a premature stoppage. Okay, so AJ has received favorable treatment 
in fights before, as has Deontay Wilder. He was the A-side, of course, against Luis Ortiz in the first fight. And we saw what happened when he got hurt. Inexplicably, the doctor and the ref got together and decided they were going to give him extra time. At the start of one of the rounds to recover from being hurt in the previous round. Bizarre stuff. We've seen it time and time again in Canelo fights with bizarre scorecards. I mean, when he fought Mayweather, one of the judges had it a draw. So look, this is an endemic problem in boxing. We do get these cash cow fighters who end up getting favorable treatment from the officials. It's terrible. Now, is there any evidence to suggest that Pabon has been brought in for this particular purpose? Well, it's not quite as clear as it might seem at first glance. Because when I first saw this ref being brought in, I thought, okay, this is not looking good for Ruiz. But on further inspection, Luis Pabon, to my knowledge anyway, hasn't been involved in many other famous, notorious bad refing performances. So, as far as I can find, he's, he's a referee, two of Klitschko's, I'm talking about Vladimir here, two of Vladimir Klitschko's uh, world title fights. One of them against Povetkin, and the other one, let me check to see who it was here again. He, one was against Povetkin, and the other was the Mormek fight. All right. Now, other than those two Klitschko performances, he's refereed a few, a few uh, Sergei Kovalev fights, including his second-to-last fight against Anthony Yard. And he seemed okay in that fight. I don't remember Luis Pabon doing anything controversial there. Uh, he's refereed... Who else have we got here? Alida Alvarez, yeah, in the Kovalev fight. Again, seemed okay in that. Um, and this is the most interesting one. Pabon refereed George Groves versus Callum Smith. Now, why do I say this is interesting? Well, this was the last major boxing event which occurred in Saudi Arabia. So perhaps they're bringing Pabon back partly because he's refereed in Saudi Arabia before. Remember, Saudi Arabia has got a fledgling boxing commission. This is not some country which has been doing boxing for a very long time. It's only been doing boxing for a very short amount of time. So the referees associated with their commission, there can't be many of them. It must be a pretty short list. Perhaps Pabon is one of them. Because as I say, he refereed Groves versus Smith. And there are going to be some people out there saying, no, see, it's just Matchroom bringing in one of their referees again. Well, no, not really, because Grobe Smith wasn't a matchroom event. It was a World Boxing Super Series event. It was actually more of a Sauerland event, because you've got one of the Sauerland brothers, who is the, uh, I guess, promoter or boxing coordinator, whatever his official title is, for World Boxing Super Series. And you've also got George Groves, who was promoted by Sauerland. So this was a Sauerland World Boxing Super Series event. It wasn't a matchroom event. Yeah, and they decided to bring the re that referee in. Callum Smith was a well-known, well, let me not say, well, he's fairly well-known in the UK, certainly well-known in the UK boxing community, but he was very much the B-side against George Groves. Groves is way, way more popular in the UK, certainly was then, than Callum Smith. So he was the A-side, right? 
Um, although, you know, in the World Boxing Super Series, is there really an A-side? I mean, I, I guess there is, you know, when uh, Maris Breeders fought Mike Perez, he was obviously the A-side because he was allowed to get away with a hell of a lot of holding in that fight. In fact, who refereed that fight? Be interesting to look at that one. <laughs> was it Louis Pabon? <laughs> but yeah, point being, I don't remember Louis Pabon doing anything controversial or bad in the Groves-Callum Smith fight. So as far as I can tell, just looking through his uh, refing record at a quick glance, the only major controversy that I can see is the Klitschko-Povetkin fight. Now, why was that so controversial? As I say, he allowed Klitschko to get away with a criminal amount of excessive holding. It was just disgusting. But interestingly enough, he wasn't one of Klitschko's favorite referees. And I'm going to show you who one of Klitschko's favorite referees was in a second. And that's even more interesting. So Klitschko had Pabon in for the Povetkin fight and the Mormek fight. But other than that, he didn't feature in any of Klitschko's world title fights. The names which keep cropping up again and again for Klitschko, and the reason I'm talking about this is because Klitschko got away with excessive holding in many of his title fights. He was literally able to do whatever he wanted for the most part in his fights that he had in, Ger in uh, Germany. In the United States, they were a lot more strict on him. But in Germany, he was able to get away with murder pretty much. So, let's have a look here. Tony Weeks, he had for the Fury fight in Germany. You also had Tony Weeks for the Pulev fight. But neither of those fights, he did much uh, holding. Alex Leopai, he did, uh, you know, he did holding when he needed to. And he had Eddie Cotton. Eddie Cotton, for some reason, was one of Klitschko's favorite referees. Because he kept bringing Eddie Cotton back. So we had Eddie Cotton for this fight here. We had Eddie Cotton again for the Marius Wack fight. Sam Williams for Thompson. Gennaro Rodriguez, he also liked him. And he actually allowed Klitschko, I remember in several fights, to get away with a lot of holding. It was Gennaro Rodriguez. Robert Bird, referee there. Gennaro Rodriguez again against Eddie Chambers. Eddie Cotton again. See, these are the, the names that are coming up again and again. And I'll get to Eddie Cotton in just a second. Tony Weeks. Joe Cortez, Wayne Kelly, Sam Williams, Eddie Cotton again. He, he liked bringing Eddie Cotton back, you know. Wayne Kelly again, Wayne Kelly again. So Wayne Kelly and Eddie Cotton were far more popular uh, with Vladimir Klitschko than um, Louis Pabon, yeah? Now, the interesting thing about Eddie Cotton is that he refereed the Lennox Lewis Mike Tyson fight. And within the first, I think, round, or certainly two rounds, he issued a stern warning to Lennox Lewis for holding and pushing uh, Mike Tyson down. So he was not going to allow Lennox Lewis to get away with, you know, excessive clinching and pushing down and all that kind of business in the Tyson fight. D didn't he even take a point away from Lewis in that fight? It's been a long time since I watched that fight through from start to finish. Maybe he didn't, but he certainly gave him a stern warning. He was all up in Lewis's face and he, you know, pushing him in the chest and saying, don't do that to Tyson. 
So to go from a referee who's very stern and very much against excessive holding and leaning on, he then referees several of Vladimir Klitschko's fights where Klitschko can get away with as much holding and leaning on as he likes. So referees are not always consistent. One ref might be stern on, on something in one particular fight, but in another fight, he's letting it go. And obviously you ask questions about that. You know, you have to look at that and say, what kind of influence was there on him? Yeah, and same thing with Luis Pabon, because other than the Klitschko-Povetkin fight, I can't, for, you know, just superficially looking over his record, I can't find anything else majorly controversial on there in terms of his ref and performances. You know? So, again, the Rob Brandt Marat rematch that ended in a TKO in two. So what controversial things has he done? I, I can't detect any, just having a cursory glance. But as I say, being the A-side, even though AJ is the challenger now, not the champion, unfortunately, it is likely that if anybody is going to get favorable treatment from any of the officials, not just the referee, but the judges as well, if anyone's going to get favorable treatment, you would imagine that it's going to be Anthony Joshua, not uh, Andy Ruiz. If we have a look at the uh, judges here, I don't pay as much attention to judges, I have to be honest, as I do to referees. But these are some of the fights he's done recently. This uh, one judge, Glenn Feldman, whose name I have heard over the years. You know, you don't always put a face to the name Okay, he did Pacquiao against Keith Thurman. Okay, he scored it for Thurman by a point. Mm, some people might find that interesting. But obviously that was a PBC show. He scored it for Thurman there. Andrade versus Selecki. He had it wide for Andrade. Well, they all had it wide for Andrade. Okay, they all had, all, all had it the same. Parker Leopi. Again, this is just a cursory look. Some of his recent ref and perfor uh, judging performances, excuse me. Let's have a look at the others. Feldman, we've got Steve Gray. Now, he's somebody I'm more familiar with because he works as a referee in the UK and also a judge. I'm sure he's ref to Anthony Joshua fights before. Has he been involved in anything controversial recently? Okay, so he did Dubois against Tete as a judge. Anything else here? Maybe I'll do a separate video looking through the uh, the backgrounds of the the judges. This is just, as I say, a cursory glance. It's gonna, or else I'm going to be here all day looking through these judging records. Let's have a cursory glance at the final judge. Benoit Rossell from Canada. What has he done? Josh Taylor versus Progray. How did he have it? He had it a draw. That scorecard's okay. And remember, that's a, a matchroom show. And he had them. He had it a draw. O although, uh, what is it? Yeah, Josh Taylor's not a matchroom fighter. He scored the Lomachenko-Campbell fight 119-108 to Lomachenko. And that was a matchroom show. Uh, I thought the scorecards were far too wide in favor of Lomachenko. I thought it was a closer fight than that. Don't get it twisted. Lomachenko won. But I thought the scorecards were way too wide. 
Billy Joe, a Sufi, he did that. Um, okay, anyway, let's, let me not be here all day. That's the officiating situation for AJ Ruiz. Now, AJ's never been a guy who clinches a lot anyway. I've heard that he's brought in some kind of wrestling coach or something for the rematch. So maybe he plans to implement more clinching. Will he clinch as much as Vladimir Klitschko against Povetkin? I doubt it, but you never know. I personally think, and this is just to reveal a little bit about what my prediction may be, but I suspect that this fight is going to go several rounds, maybe even a distance, and I think that there will be a late surge in this fight from Andy Ruiz. And whether AJ survives the late surge or not is anybody's guess. But that's what I'm envisioning for this fight. That AJ will maybe build up a lead, boxing around the ring, you know, doing his thing. And late in the fight, Ruiz will come on strong as AJ starts to tire and slow down. And it may be in those moments that AJ needs to clinch, perhaps even excessively. Um, and will he be allowed to get away with it? Or will the referee admonish him? Will he deduct points? You would imagine not. <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it goes in boxing. As I say, he's had favorable treatment before, as has Canelo, as has Deontay Wilder, as have so many A-side fighters who are making multi-million dollar purses. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Again, we do have to remember that Pabon refereed the last major boxing event in Saudi Arabia which was the uh, the Callum Smith-George Groves fight. And that was not a matchroom show. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. This happened, I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. This is Umar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, joined by a true legend in Hashim Rahman. Your man has a real chance to put a, his stamp on the division uh, against Alexander Vetkin. Uh, he says stoppage. Do you believe that's going to happen, Hashim? 100%. 100%. Definitely. It's Mike time. It's 100 time. You uh, sort of 
so been so highly praising of Michael when I've spoken to you before. Um, do you think we're going to see the best of him this Saturday night? As I said, it's his breakout fight, I believe, because of who he's fighting and the name that Alexander brings to the table. Well, I mean, every 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 next fight is the breakout fight, as far as we're concerned. So, um, but I do think um, you know Alexander being a, a gold medalist and a former world champion is going to bring out the best in Michael Hunter. So um, we 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 very well prepared for this fight, and I think um, it's going to be a hard fight. But I think Mike will make the fight look easy. He's actually being touted as perhaps the favourite for this fight. Um, even though Alexander's been a world-class operator for years and years, uh, as I said to Michael, it looks like he's coming to the back end of his career. Would you say that Alex is coming to the back end of his career? I mean, he's still fighting. He's still um, putting up good fights. He's still beating, uh, you know, quality opposition. So, you know, um, but he's 40. So, you know, nobody can be father time. Uh, age gonna catch up with everybody. So I mean, you got a young Mike, you got a older Provector. Mike, Mike, to, in, in my estimation, got the better skills. No matter what age and no matter what time they fight, I will favor Hunter. Do you think people are sleeping on Michael Hunter? You know, Usyk's made his jump from cruiserweight to heavyweight division, and everyone's talking about him. How's he gonna fare? Is he gonna win a world title? Could he even become undisputed champ? But Michael gave him a really good fight in the cruiserweight division. He's fought heavyweight before. Do you believe that people are sleeping on Michael moving up from cruiser to heavy? I hope they are. I, I, I absolutely hope they are. And um, Usyk, I wish him nothing but success in the heavyweight division because, as I said before, I'm gonna say it again. Usyk beat Michael Hunter for the cruiserweight title, but Michael Hunter will beat Usyk for the heavyweight title. Do you expect that rematch to happen next year, Hassim? I, I mean, I'm not next, but I, I expect it to happen. That would be a great fight. Also, obviously, I don't want to get your thoughts on the main event this Saturday, uh, Ruiz Joshua. Repeat or revenge, Hassim? I mean, it, it, it can go both ways, depending on what, what Joshua shows up. If Joshua shows up trying to get revenge in terms of a knockout, then he gets knocked out. But if you try to get revenge in terms of a win, maybe he can pull it off. What was your mentality like uh, when you beat Lennox and then you were going into the rematch? Well, see, my, we had a, a tussle and, 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 and the, and the um, press conferences and the lead up to the fight. So my, my mentality was that I'm just too strong for him. So I got complacent thinking all I got to do is land one shot and the fight be over. And uh, clearly that wasn't the case. So, um, you know, um, I don't believe that, that Ruiz is, is complacent. I think he wants to go out and really prove it again and show that this wasn't a, a one-time thing and he can beat him. Asim, if you and Michael are correct and you beat Alexander Povetkin this Saturday night, uh, that world title shot is looming and uh, you believe that's going to happen next year for Michael? Yes, I definitely think um, we should be fighting for a world title next and really kick the door in and get on the world stage. I mean, clearly he's a world-class fighter. He's been beating world-class fighter after world-class fighter. Nobody has a better resume than Michael that hasn't been champion. How are you feeling about Saudi Arabia? How's the experience been so far? Oh, it's lovely. I mean, I've been here several times, so, you know, I, I know the drill. Asim Rackman, we look forward to a great night on Saturday with uh, your guy in chief support against Alexander Povetkin. And uh, if he does the business, he's going to be in some huge fights in 2020. Well, I'll see you in the winner's circle. <laughs> Thank you, Asim. God bless you.
This is Umar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global. As you can tell, we are in Saudi Arabia. Michelle, I've never seen you dressed like this. Just talk me through it. I thought you were going to say I've never seen you dressed this appropriately. <laughs> I, I, that, you said that, not me, Michelle. <laughs> oh, I'm getting I'm getting slagged off for being too covered up, and I'm getting slagged off for being not dressing, you know, uh, as conservatively as I should. But anyways, whatever. So, are you thinking about putting a full burqa on? You know what? I quite like this. It's very comfortable for me. Uh, it's less pressure on what I wear, you know, like in any other aspects, like jeans, tops, whatever. And, and, I, and I like it. I think it's very cute. Is this just sort of for today or is this going to carry on throughout the week? It's going to be the whole week. I got outfits for the entire week. Yeah, I like it. Could it get more covered up as we go along? <laughs> How much more covered up could I get? <laughs> well, for the full bucket. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, just the little head wrap. And I'm aware that... People keep saying, like, why, do you, why are you dressing like that? You don't have to. And I'm like, well, an abaya is the appropriate thing to wear on the streets, even if you have jeans and a T-shirt underneath. And then I just, out of respect, I just wanted to wear the full, you know, traditional outfit. And, yeah. Okay, you've just arrived in Saudi Arabia. How has your experience been so far? We hear all these things about women in Saudi Arabia. How's it been? You know what? Um... From the moment I got off, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit nervous just because I didn't know what to expect. You know, you, you hear things, you read things, and it gets into your head and you start worrying, am, am I going to be safe, am I going to be all right? I had nothing but, a, I wouldn't call it great, but I, I would say it was a, a warm welcome. I never felt uncomfortable. Um, everyone, the hospitality was pretty on point, I would say. I mean, everyone was very helpful. No one treated me any differently. It actually wasn't until today when I went walking around without my head wrap, and I still had an abaya on, and everyone was staring. Everyone was staring. I mean, to the point where even Fouad said, man, like, I'm noticing, like, the eyes. So, and there were no women walking around. I think I saw one other girl walk into the coffee shop, but she was fully wrapped up. And so... I think although the laws have changed, um, the traditions still are what they are, and the culture is what it is, and so for that, I think they're still used to women being fully covered, so, or they've never seen a Westerner before, I don't know, either or. Did you feel uncomfortable? Um, uncomfortable, yes, but not afraid. So I don't want to mix the two. I would never say I felt in danger or afraid. Uncomfortable, yeah, because I mean, it was they were different type of looks. They weren't looks like, damn, you look good. It ain't them time of looks. It was looks as in like, what is she? So that just happens in the UK, then. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it was a different type of look. It was almost like not. I don't know how to use it in words. It's not a dangerous type of look. Or, Surprise or? Um, I think people were just not used to it. I think they're getting used to it. Do you think it's going gonna, it's gonna to change over here? Because you said the laws have changed, but culturally it's still the same. Obviously, the laws have just changed. Do you think we could ever see it become like Dubai in 30, 40, 50 years? 100%. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, considering, like, what was it, just a year and a half ago, women weren't able to drive, you know, I really tried to make it a point to not be on my phone while we're out because I want to observe everything, and then we're seeing women, you know, in full, in full, how would you call it? I don't want to... Fully clothed. Yeah, but what, what do you call it? Oh, the burqa. The burqa. In a full burqa. And so 
considering not long ago that wasn't even allowed and now they're they're driving everywhere i think that's great so we are starting to see change now i can't speak on everything because i don't know fully what goes on but as a woman who's a tourist here i don't feel unsafe well, we definitely know they can drive did you hear what tyson fury had to say uh, about a woman getting in a ferrari when she picked him up when he came to the wwe yeah so apparently he got here got to the airport woman picked him up took him to his car and then she drove off in a ferrari mm. Well, that's why they're saying, okay, so when I was coming over here, I was advised by a woman who lives here, um, what would be considered okay? She's like, you're allowed to wear jeans, a top, as long as your breasts aren't hanging out and your arm, you're not fooling your, you know, all of your arms, and if you're wearing a skirt, uh, wear a, a, a longer length skirt. You are allowed to wear skirts, normal skirts, but she's like, at the end of the day, it's up to you. Do you want to be stared at? and maybe feel uncomfortable or do you want to feel a bit more comfortable with you know with what you're wearing so i don't i'm not here to like rub anybody wrong and i'm not here to to make a scene so ultimately i wanted to be as as comfortable as possible but at the same time um i don't know take in i guess the new laws that are permitted so so far going off for the rest of the week you don't feel threatened or you just feel comfortable about doing your work as you would in the UK or in America you feel totally fine and at ease from your first 24 hours here. after my first 24 hours yeah I feel fine I feel fine um, I was nervous initially because I didn't know what to expect now don't get me wrong today at lunch it was still an eye-opener that it's not exactly okay for everybody based on the looks based on the stairs, um, knowing that I didn't see not one other female tourist aside from myself, and we were walking a tourist location. So I do feel safe, I feel fine, I don't feel threatened by any means necessary, but you will feel how it's a bit off from where we're from. It's not, it's still not quite there yet. For any women that do want to come here, whether it's work or just tourism, uh, if they have any reservations, what would you kind of say to them? What would you, your message be to them? I would still advise them to be mindful that although the laws have changed, um, still be respectful of the culture because you will stand out. And I can't say, I can't speak on what someone else is going to do or not do, but I know that I, I'm not here to, to be... Um, I guess I'm not willing to take any risks. I'm just here to sort of do my job, uh, get through it, experience it, but I don't want to put myself in any form of danger whatsoever. All right, Michelle, thank you very much for your time here in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure it will be a, a sort of a, a safe trip uh, for the rest of the week, and uh, you can do your work as uh, you would in America or the UK. Salam, Umar. Alaikum salam, Michelle. Thank you very much.
Everyone loves the big boys, I suppose, eh? I mean, come on, how can you not with the big punch? No, it's great stuff, but forget all the other fights. It's, to me, it's about AJ and Ruiz. Great fight. I think AJ is going to win this fight. Um, I can say... What makes you say that? I'll tell you. Yeah. This fight, I wish I could sit with AJ for 10 minutes in a room and give him a motivational speech and, and talk to him. I, you know, I, I'm sure he's got, he obviously has top training, whatever, but I still would just like to talk to him and just try to, two words. This fight to me really actually should be easy. Control, distance, mm -hmm. that's it. Just control the distance. He's such, he's such a bigger guy. He's, he's such a stronger guy. Um, the blueprint's there. You know, Emmanuel Stewart had the blueprint. You know, Klitschko, Lewis, just jab, double jab, right hand, double jab, right hand. He comes in, hold him, lean on him, tire him, do it again. Stick to your boxing. Yeah. Stick to your boxing. You don't need to fight inside with this guy. And if the knockout comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Just box. Stick to your boxing. It's fundamentals. That's why this is called the sweet science. It's not a tough man competition. Yeah. Where guys in jeans and overalls are just swinging wildly. This is not what this is, you know. And there's no doubt Ruiz is a, is a tough SOB. He's a, he's a bad boy. He's a hell of a fighter. He knows how to fight. Quick hands. I think he's got a lot better foot movement than, than people give him credit for. I mean, a lot of times, great foot movement is actually the let. You don't need a lot of movement to have good foot movement. You need to be in the right places. And he is. He knows how to move. Um, so he's a very underrated fighter. Not not anymore. But again, it's one of those things, like imagine this. In baseball, you get a pitcher, and uh, a pitcher has certain control, and he has certain pitches, so he's pitching. And the road, they go through the rotation, the one through the nine slot, right? And guys, when they first are seeing him, like they, they can't, the speed of the pitches and the, the angles, they, they're, they're missing it, they can't see him. But by the second, the third time in the rotation, guys start seeing the pitches. They start cracking them, you know, because they're studying and they're seeing what he does. And uh, this is this is very similar to I think the situation that's happening with Ruiz. I think that he was overlooked before. I think AJ knew he was a decent fighter. I think he thought he would just blow through him. You know, you can never buy your own your own hype. And when everyone's just saying how great you are, I think there was kind of that spot. I don't know if that if that that's what AJ was doing, but I'm just saying that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, when you're Everyone's, oh, he's the heavyweight champ of the world. He's so great. He's so great. I mean, you're still in fights, man. And you're in fights against guys that, oh, they're all coming for your head. The fights don't get any easier. So all these guys are coming for you, especially when you're at the top. And AJ was at the top. Um, I believe he's going to be at the top again. I think he's going to win this fight. And that's how he does it. To make my point, John Jalay. John Jalay beat Ruiz. Mm -hmm. He beat Ruiz in the amateurs. Oh, really? And AJ beat John Jalay. John Jalay has fought both of them. That's quite interesting as well. See, again, this, this is what I come to you. I don't know these things. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I should research a little bit harder, but you know, I, mean, I don't know how where you get your information from, David. You've got like a secret boxing book somewhere in your room that you... <laughs> what's, what's going on here? <laughs> I've, I've been watching the sport for a long time. And, uh, but uh, yeah, he beat, he beat Ruiz and it just by controlling the distance. Mm -hmm. That's it, man. That's all you do in this fight. It's not that hard. I mean, it could be difficult. Yeah. But the game plan is simple. Mm -hmm. Control the distance. Do you, think that, do you think Joshua I mean, back in June at Madison Square Garden, do you think he sort of got the knockdown and then rushed in, trying to finish him, and then that's where obviously Ruiz thought, you know what, now you're in my, my world, enclosed sort of thing. Listen, I, I can't blame him because he, he knocked him down, 
powerful punch. Mm. And in the in the ensuing exchange, he hit him twice hard. Bang, bang, perfect, beautiful punches. Square, flush. Those are the same punches that knocked Pavetkin out. You know, and Pavetkin is tough. Yeah. And that knocked him out. I was right there, Wembley, five feet away. Saw it. It was brutal. So he probably figured the same thing's gonna happen. But that's why I say now, now you know. Yeah. This guy's got a chin. He's got a set of whiskers. He can take a punch. So don't go for the knockout. Look, if, the, if those punches are there, land them. But keep your defense up. Yeah. You know, don't get in exchanges with this guy. Don't do it. You know, the kid's dangerous. Just control the distance. The, everything else will come. You start breaking him down, go to his body, man. Yeah. You know, double jab, right hand, this and that. When you have the open for the body, go to his body. And just break him down. Box. Use the ring. Use your distance. No, Fight should, tall. Maybe should become a coach instead of an MC. Who knows what the future? <laughs> Who knows what the future holds? He is special. Ooh, Absolute dynamite. Oh my goodness. Here we go.